What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal once again talks about live hockey because Golden Knights training camp is underway, and we are so, so excited to start discussing it with all of you. I am Ben Goetz, one of your Golden Knights Review Journal beat writers. Joining me on the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Uh, Dave, how excited were you to walk back into a hockey rink? <laughs> I'm pretty, uh, pretty excited. I gotta say, I don't, I don't want to take this into a, you know, into like a dark place or whatever. But you know, the last few months have not been easy, especially for me. I will ad- admit that. Uh, definitely hit a couple rough patches along the way. So it's nice to have uh, hockey back, like getting back to regular schedule. You know, just kind of functioning normally it's it's starting to feel a little bit normal again i guess so that that's a good thing yeah we are uh so so excited to have hockey back and to be able to break down the early training camp storylines with all of you which is what we're going to do on this episode uh first uh i need to ask dave another very specific question uh dave you had a phenomenal twitter post the other day and you got your hair cut how are you feeling now that your hair is gone and hockey is back. <laughs> well, to uh, quote somebody on that thread, I think I went from Mark Stone to Jonathan March or so. Um, yeah, it was pretty out of control. I uh, I had it cut in July, right before training camp 2.0. And, you know, just kind of let it go for a little bit and then said, okay, I'm, I'm going to let it really roll and, and let it, you know. Until hockey comes back, it's it's gonna be uh it's gonna be a weed. I don't I don't have it all up there, you know. There's a little patch that's missing up there, but but what I do have left grows pretty fast. So it was like six months of uh of outrageousness, and uh it it was time for a change. But I thought everybody'd have fun uh fun with the picture. I I said this before to to on on one of the radio shows that I did though. I was surprised people were giving me a hard time about like only wearing the same outfit like i'm a cartoon or something and only have one shirt and pants like it was clearly shot in the car before and then i went in to get the haircut and then shot it after so it's not like i only own one pair of uh you know clothes or, or uh what was like a, a half zip and a, and a polo yeah i have more than that this is good i'm glad we're getting this out there into the public that you can defend yourself this way i mean i saw you yesterday i thought you were looking good uh and now we're going to talk about how the golden knights look uh when they're on the ice but before we do that i want to uh, remind everyone that the golden edge podcast is presented by blue wire hustle Uh, also please check out all our written work covering camp at reviewjournal.com and of course if you could rate review subscribe uh whatever you do to podcasts uh please do to this one all right so we've seen two training camp practices so far. The Golden Knights are trying to whip themselves into shape very quickly because they open the season January 14th at home against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, so far, Dave, what have kind of been your overall impressions of watching this team back on the ice again? I mean, I think actually some of the crispness has, has stood out. I mean, you haven't seen a lot of like, you know, fumbled pucks and it, it doesn't feel like there's 
obvious rustiness, I guess you could say. And and sometimes it's hard to sit up there and 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 say, oh, they look really good, or oh, they don't look good today. And and it takes kind of you know the coach blowing the whistle a lot and stopping a drill, or or guys kind of chirping other guys because they screwed something up, or you know something like for everybody really. But but there hasn't been anything like that. Maybe it's because they've you know been skating, you know, kind of captain's practice, voluntary stuff for you know the last handful of weeks, you know, leading into this, and they didn't come in just kind of you know, dry, I guess you could say, but the, and again, I think maybe too, is just the urgency of the season is going to start and there's no exhibition games or anything like that to do. So they have to use these practices to get ready and, and prepare. And they, they seem to kind of be all business for the most part. Yeah. It's interesting how a lot of guys have described this approach very much like the approach they had in the summer when they're getting ready for training camp before heading into the bubble for the postseason, where, you know, guys got together for quite a bit before, you know, camp officially started, as you said, working out on their own, making sure that they were in shape so they could hit the ground running and get off to a fast start as much as possible. I mean, Pete DeBoer has talked about how, you know, his approach to this camp as a coach is very similar to his approach in the summer. He's kept a lot of kind of the practice plans very similar um, because they only got one exhibition game you know, before the postseason. So, you know, he kind of gets to work with a similar template here with no exhibition games uh, leading up to the season starting. And I think there's a similar sense of urgency, as you said, because obviously the guys knew in the summer that they needed to hit the ground hard in the postseason because you can't really afford losses in the postseason. And I think guys know like, hey, we need to get out to a good start this season because a bad start uh, when you know, you're only playing 56 games, all of a sudden is going to mean so much more because every game kind of counts a little bit extra this season because you're just playing less of them. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, not necessarily the listeners care about this, but like the whole thing has looked almost exactly like July, you know, right down to, you know, we all kind of come into the arena or to the rink the same way. And we have our little spots that, that we watch the practice from afterward, we go and do the zoom you know, the fans at home can watch the stream because they're not allowed to be obviously inside City National Arena for, you know, for the practices. So everything kind of during the that was going on during the summer, it feels like it's carried over in that regard. And I'm sure there's similarities for the players. I mean, we see them, you know, today there was the little incident with the one group uh, coming onto the ice late. But, you know, they're all divided into like these different small groups and using different locker rooms around City National, just like they were in the summer. So in that sense, I think there's probably some continuity for the players where they're not walking into a whole different training camp going, oh boy, you know, what's this going to be like? What, you know, I, I feel like they, they have a lot of, you know, carryover from what they did in the summer and that'll probably help them to be quite honest. I think, you know, some of the preparation and, and Pete DeBoer's talked about and what you just talked about, you know, that they, they got to get going right away in the same way as the postseason. So they've done things you know, right down to the practice and they do the ice and they come back and they scrimmage. So it all has a, has a very similar feel. And, you know, the Golden Knights got off to a really good start and were ready right away. Felt like they had a competitive advantage, I guess, going into the postseason, and And we'll see if they have that same, you know, sort of competitive advantage going into this regular season. Yeah, definitely a lot of similarities between the two camps. And we're going to break down a lot of these specific kind of you know, not necessarily position battles, but interesting, I guess, lineup choices that are being made 
this camp. But before we do that, I want to talk about one thing that is definitely different this camp, and that, of course, is the presence of Alex Petrangelo, uh, the Golden Knights marquee free agent signing this offseason. Um, obviously, former captain of the St. Louis Blues, Stanley Cup winner, uh, was, I believe, uh, fourth in the Norris Trophy voting last year. Uh, just an excellent all-around defenseman. So, Dave, now that he's here through two days, how's he looking so far? Yeah, good. I mean, again, it's hard to, like, you know, come to any sort of dramatic conclusions about a guy, positive or negative, you know, just from a couple of days of practice. And I mean, he is who he is. You know, we know that it's not like he's all of a sudden going to fall off from being a Norris Trophy guy to, you know, a sixth defenseman or something like that. You know, pay $61.6 million over seven years for somebody who's going to stink. So hey, he's a consummate professional. And we hear that, you know, every time he's been interviewed, you can tell how competitive he is. And, and how much winning means to him. You, you know he's going to come into camp ready, prepared, you know, in shape, all those sorts of things. It's been interesting to just see him kind of getting used to the new players. Uh, you know, I know yesterday, you know, we're, as we're talking, it's Tuesday, the first day, there was a rush and Jake LeCision had the puck and you could hear, you know, Petrangelo yelling, fourth, 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 which I, I would assume is, you know, a code for like fourth guy in, into the rush, the defenseman. He was trying to get him to drop it. And Jake LeCision didn't make the drop pass. And you could see, you know, Petrangelo kind of, you know, shake his head a little bit. And, you know, yeah, it's just, you know, it's no big deal. But it's just some of the chemistry things. He's not obviously probably not going to be skating with Jake LeCision. Like, let's that make that real clear. But, you know, just how he's getting used to, to Braden McNabb, it's interesting to me. We've always heard Braden McNabb is the most communicative of the defensemen, which is always interesting because off the ice, he's, one of the most quiet, you know, Nate Schmidt was always the gregarious, loud guy off the ice, but on the ice, it was Braden McNabb who was the big talker. And I think, you know, communication and getting used to his partnership with, with Alex Petrangelo, I think that'll help. And, you know, and one of the other things that he mentioned too, that I thought was interesting was the adjustment that Braden McNabb has to make. He played with a left-handed uh, defense partner on the right side. You know, you make a pass across to D to D or something like that. And you want to put it in, into a different spot for a left-handed defenseman. If you put it into, I guess, what would be like the normal spot, you're going to put him on his backhand. Well, that's where Alex Petrangelo is going to want the puck and things. So, you know, just little adjustments like that that, you know, you don't necessarily, I guess, get after two days. But, you know, again, they'll they'll get there. And it's just interesting to kind of hear them talk about the process and and what they've gone, you know, gone through in some of the dialogue that they've had early on. Yeah, it's just one of those like little subtle things you don't really think about until a guy like Alex Petrangelo brings it up. Because yeah, Braden McNabb was basically two main partners with the Knights in his career. It was obviously Nate Schmidt for a large part of it. And then briefly in the Knights' second season, he was paired with Shea Theodore, who's a lefty that plays on the right side uh, for a minute there too. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see you know, how those two kind of continue to progress and build chemistry through camp. Uh, as you said, it, it's very early, but certainly I think uh, Petrangelo has gotten nothing but uh, positive reviews from his new teammates so far. Uh, now I want to go through some of the other, you know, as I said earlier, intriguing, you know, early line combinations and, you know, defensive pairs that kind of have piqued our interest. Uh, normally, I think through two days of camp, it's, you know, not always wise to like super, 
read into a bunch of this stuff. I mean, honestly, in a normal Golden Knights camp, a lot of these lines are kind of jumbled up where you've got some veteran guys with some younger guys to kind of help ease them in a little bit. But I think it's been pretty clear, much like it was in the summer camp with the way kind of DeBoer has this stuff organized where, nope, these guys are probably with people that they legitimately want to see them with because there's not necessarily that time to play around with lines as much as there would be in a normal camp because they've got that first game in about uh, nine days. So the first kind of line combination that uh, certainly stuck out to me is uh, Chandler Stevenson is right now the you know second line center, or I guess theoretically you could say first line center, depending on how you want to order the top six, but he's in between uh, Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone. So he's kind of the guy that's been elevated into the top six because Paul Stasny got traded to the Winnipeg Jets this offseason. Uh, it's obviously really interesting to me that uh, Stevenson, who, of course, came to the Golden Knights in a trade last season, uh, went from a guy who was kind of, you know, not necessarily fighting for his job last training camp with the Washington Capitals, but was definitely trying to fight for kind of a consistent role. And now he's, you know, in between the basically two most expensive forwards on the Golden Knights roster. Uh, it's worth noting as well that that trio, uh, Pacioretty, Stevenson and Stone, was ridiculously effective in the regular season uh, last year. They outscored opponents 20 to 5 when they are on the ice together at 5 on 5. So this is a group that's, you know, had some history and chemistry together. Uh, with all that being said, Dave, were you surprised that Stevenson ended up getting the first crack at kind of that top six center job that was up for grabs? Okay, sorry. First off, I have to say my dog is like very interested in your voice. He's he's all perked up and, and smiling and listening. Um, it Was I surprised? I guess a little bit at first. And, and in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have been. Um, we know that Pete DeBoer is kind of an analytics guy. And we know the analytics on that line. I mean, I don't remember. Maybe it was Money Puck or somebody. I probably should have looked this up before uh, before we started recording. But I mean, they were like top three or, or arguably the top line, at least in terms of you know Corsi shot attempt, you know percentage and all that sort of stuff last year. So I think maybe with the benefit of the off season in consideration, once Chandler Stevenson was resigned, you know. You give them a crack and, and you see, I think, and we're going to talk about Cody Glass here a little bit too, but I also think it it takes some of the pressure off Cody Glass. You're not necessarily putting him in between, you know, arguably, you know, well, not arguably, but your two leading scores, arguably two of your best players and and putting the pressure on a young player to kind of keep up. And, and if it doesn't work out, you know, potentially you're, you know, you're dragging the team down if the top line isn't scoring and all those sorts of things. This way, he can kind of play his way up into it. But, you know, again, kudos to Chandler Stevenson. We heard, you know, from Mark Stone today on on Tuesday talking about how they played against each other in juniors. And, and really, Chandler Stevenson just never got the chance in Washington to be an offensive guy. Backstrom and Kuznetsov, as Mark Stone said, are two of the best centers in the world. And, and it's not, you know, you're not going to break into that top six at center, unless one of those guys gets hurt. It's one of the things that once Chandler Stevenson got here, he got an opportunity and he seemed to thrive. So this is his chance to kind of, you know, kind of run with a, a top six spot, see what he does with it, see what he can produce. And it gives Cody Glass a chance to kind of ease in a little bit. And, and again, he's on a third line and, 
and again, we'll talk about this, but with, with Nicholas Waugh and, and Alex Tuck. So it's not like a pit. It's not like he's on some line that he can't, you know, produce and, and have some offense. He's going to get power play chances and all that, you know, sort of stuff. So, you know, Pete DeBoer is notorious for juggling his lines. And, and so if he starts with this and, you know, we see something different in two weeks, I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, for now, it, it does probably make the most sense to see, you know, Chandler Stevenson and the speed that he brings in, in just the room that, that he opens up for Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone with his style and skating. Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As a part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today to apply go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box for this episode to find out more and that's bwhustle.com slash join yeah to your earlier point about kind of the the analytics behind uh this line uh, as you said they were the Third highest rated line, according to moneypuck.com, in expected goals, which is kind of a a scoring projection based off shot data. So basically, per 60 minutes, that trio, Pacioretty, Stevenson, and Stone, uh, were basically expected to outscore their opponents 4-2. to So obviously what MoneyPuck is saying is that based on how well those guys were playing and the shots that they took when they were on the ice together and the shots that they allowed when they were on the ice together... If DeBoer left them out for a full game, they should win that game four to two, which is obviously really, really good. There are only, like I said, two lines in hockey that were better than them. One of them was the Minnesota Wilds kind of uh, shut down third line, and another one was a Hurricanes line. But both those lines also played a little bit less than that Patch Ready Stevenson Stone line did last year. So it'll be intriguing to see, you know, how they do and uh, how kind of far they're able to push their offense. Because obviously the big question coming into this camp for the Knights, and I think it will be potentially all year, is are they going to get enough production in the middle of the ice without Stasny? And it'll be interesting uh, to see how Stevenson does with the first crack at it. And of course, we can't really talk about that kind of center depth without getting to the next guy that you were touching on, Dave, which is Cody Glass and the fact that he's starting at third line center between Alex Tuck and Nicholas Waugh. You know, it was interesting for me, Dave, to hear Cody Glass talk today um, about how he 
the first day of camp really was a little bit nervous still because it was his first time scrimmaging on that surgically repaired uh, right knee. He obviously spent a lot of his off season since getting that surgery in March rehabbing. He spent a lot of time adding weight. He said he's up to about uh, 205 to 207 pounds now, which is, you know, about kind of 15 ish pounds heavier than he was the last time he took the ice for the gold Knights. And I did think, you know, just watching the scrimmage from afar today, that it was pretty noticeable how much more comfortable he was and how much more he trusted his legs today in day two of camp. Uh, did you see the same? Yeah. Thing? And I think that's probably only natural. I mean, we hear about that, you know, guys who especially major knee surgeries and, and things is, is it's just in, in the back of your head, you know, especially a young guy who's never really gone through a big injury. He obviously had, you know, his knee injury in juniors, but it wasn't nearly as severe and it's a whole different process that he went through. But he talked about kind of turning it into a positive and, and using it as a chance to get bigger, stronger, you know, improve his skating, all those sorts of things. I, it'll come with time. I think, you know, you know, the more that you play, the less you think about it, the less you worry about it, you know, then it just becomes natural. Um, I, I don't, it, it'll be interesting, I guess, in a way we always hear, you know, football guys and things. We assume that Cody Glass had an ACL injury. It's never been, you know, confirmed that, but, you know, we always hear kind of, it takes, you know, the, it's the year after you return that you're really at full strength and really at a hundred percent. And, and maybe the extra time, maybe Cody Glass is on a little bit different, you know, timeline, maybe he's closer to that kind of second year of, of really, really, really being a hundred percent on it. But I think that's probably physically, you know, not the biggest hurdle. You can do the rehab, you can get it stronger and all that. It's the mental, you know, thing of going into that same situation and just not thinking about it, not worrying about getting hurt and all that. Once he gets past that, you know, then, then everything's going to be gravy. But I definitely think you can see the difference between, you know, last year and this year. It was one of the questions that I had for him was just how much more prepared, you know, does he feel this year versus last year? Obviously he's bigger, stronger, faster and all that, but you know, just, just being, you know, 21 and, and going into this, you know, having had, you know, his toe in the water, getting a feel for it, understanding, you know, what the NHL game is going to be all about. I think he's in a good spot on that line. I like the, you know, the opportunities that he's going to have there. We can talk about that a little bit more too, but you know, for right now, I mean, I think you can pencil him in as one of the 12, put it that way. Yeah. And I think, as you said, it's a good spot because one, he's playing with still some skilled guys and Alex Tuck and Nicholas. Well, obviously he might not produce like he would if he was the one that got the first crack between Pacioretty and Stone, but it's not like he's not playing with guys that can score, obviously, especially Tuck. Everyone knows, you know, how deadly he can be when he's healthy and on his game. But then also, as you know, you said it might take him a while to kind of get back to 100% or feel like the you know player he was before. And so kind of putting him in, you know, a little bit more down the lineup, I think gives him I don't know if extra shelter is the right word, but it, it doesn't force him to try to come back, you know, ultra fast. It gives him a little bit more leash, a little bit more rope. It feels like where the pressure is not all going to be on him right away. And he can kind of ease his way back into things and ease his way back into the NHL. And I'm sure the golden Knights hope is that those, you know, three guys who are all pretty young can kind of learn and grow together. And maybe, you know, the goal for glass would it be, if you can start out well on the third line, maybe you can play your way 
into uh, elevated role where maybe you're competing with Chandler Stevenson for a top six job later on in the season if you can show that you can get back to full health and 100%. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what, you know, certainly if I'm, you know, a decision maker, that that's how I'm looking at it. I, I mean, I think, you know, for the one that originally I looked at this and I was like, well, you would kind of want him with Mark Stone and Pacioretty. They're going to elevate his game. He's a playmaker. He can you know, still do things with them. He's not going to drag them down. But to your point, I, yeah, I totally get it. And and I think it speaks to where the Golden Knights are in terms of let's look at this third line versus, say, you know, the third line from a couple years ago. I mean, you've got Alex Tuck, a guy who scored 20 goals, and, you know, certainly Gerard Gallant touted him as a 25 to 30 goal potential score. I, th- I think it's fair to say he can be a consistent 20 to 25 goal score. You've got a, a guy who was the sixth overall pick in the draft. And then you've got Nicholas Waugh on the other side who's got, you know, some offensive chops to him and certainly a big, strong physical guy. He can take faceoffs and and certainly is a 200-foot game, you know, has some awareness in that regard. I, I mean, it's a big upgrade on paper for the Golden Knights just on their third line from where they've been. You know, you, you don't have Cody Eakin and nothing against Cody Eakin, but, you know... Cody Eakin and Brendan Leipzig and Ryan Carpenter and, you know, the the cycle of guys that that they've gone through. This is a chance, yeah, for Cody Glass to play with some guys who are, who are good and skilled. And it's not like you're just putting him out there to put him out there. So in, in that sense, it's still a good opportunity for him to, like you said, maybe play his way up into, you know, that second line role. And then at that point, you know, maybe he's a little more ready for it and the pressure, you know, is something that that he can handle. but. You know, it'll be interesting to see just how the balance works out. If if Chandler Stevenson is a guy, you know, who can make plays consistently, you know, in the top six against other teams' top six forwards. And then the other thing too that I think is cool about the Cody Glass line and and our buddy Justin Emerson over at the Sun and I were talking about this today. It's an all right-handed line, like Tuck, Cody Glass, Nicholas. Wall, they're all right-handed. How often do you see an all right-handed line? It's kind of cool. No, it's definitely unique uh, and the, probably the first one in Golden Knights history. So we'll see how those three kind of build their chemistry together. Tuck was actually not at practice today, the second day of training camp, but Pete DeBoer said that was just a maintenance day. Uh, one other kind of lineup, you know, intriguing spot that I want to talk to you about, Dave, is the, I guess, third and probably fourth pairs that the Golden Knights are rolling out right now. The top four on defense, I think, has kind of played out to what our expectations were, which, as we mentioned, uh, Petrangelo has just taken taken Nate Schmidt's spot with Braden McNabb. And then on the second pair, uh, Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez are still together. Uh, They were obviously a really good pair down the stretch in the regular season, and then they were very good in the postseason. What has been notable to me is that on what I think would be the kind of you know, third pair right now. Uh, you still have Zach Whitecloud, who's really impressive as a rookie. And then next to him on the left side is uh, Nick Hag, who, of course, played about half the season with the Golden Knights last year. And then meanwhile, Nick Holden, who uh, was paired with Zach Whitecloud down the stretch uh, last season, has been paired with uh, Dylan Coglin with what I would view as potentially the, the fourth pair. So I guess the... Uh, question i have for you dave is i guess what exactly do you make of how they're 
kind of mixing those four guys up. Uh, do you think that they're giving Nick Haig here a real shot to essentially win a job out of camp again? Because even though he didn't play in the opener last year, he played in the night's second game of the season. Or is this just one spot where they might actually be kind of doing some camp experimenting a little bit? I don't know. Yes, probably. I I don't know. I, so on the one hand, like I've been trying to figure out the same thing with you. Like, okay, well, which one is the third pair and which one is the fourth pair? You kind of look at Nick Holden. He was resigned. He's on an NHL contract. You figure he's kind of one of the six. And last year he was with, Zach Whitecloud, you kind of figure Zach Whitecloud had established himself. And then you show up at training camp on Monday and they're split up. So I'm I'm not really sure like how to read into it. I'm not sure which is which. And if you're going to look at it and go, you know, who's getting first crack. Unfortunately, like we don't see an exhibition game. We see scrimmages and they're on different teams and they're kind of like, you know, I guess what would be the second pairing on on both you know, on both respective teams. So there's no way to sort of differentiate between the two. But I do think it means they're giving Nick Haig a real shot. And I do think if he if he shows he's ready and wins a job, that depending on how they construct the roster and if they, you know, do a 12-6-2 and, and use the taxi squad, you know, to kind of have a minimum 20 guys to make sure that they're cap compliant. And Nick Haig can play the role that you know, Nick Holden did. And if you feel like Nick Hagen, Zach Whitecloud, which was an AHL pairing is ready to be an NHL pairing. You know, I, I guess I, you know, I don't know. It seems a little weird that you would go with two rookies as your third pairing and not have something with, with Nick, uh, Nick Holden in there. But I guess maybe, maybe what it actually speaks to is not so much where Nick Hague is at, but where is Dylan Coughlin at? And how how much of the impression he made in the bubble. And maybe it says he's above both of those guys. And maybe that's, you know, maybe he's bumped Zach Whitecloud out of, out of that spot if we're really going to start looking at things. I it's hard, it's hard to read into it. I I don't know. I mean, what is your read on it? Because I I am a little bit confused and and I have, you know, today was certainly thinking about maybe this is more about Dylan Coglin than anybody. Yeah, so it's fascinating, right? Especially because you know those four guys in very different or are very different in a lot of ways i mean nick holden i would say is kind of you know your definition of a, of a steady veteran is kind of good all around and you know played very well i thought down the stretch for the knights last season i mean he and white cloud had really good numbers together now obviously they were getting kind of the easier matchups as the third defensive pair but i mean still they were winning those matchups so kudos to them and then like i said white cloud was very good down the stretch and he became basically their number one penalty killer in the bubble, which is why, you know, I lean towards that. He's probably on that third pair just because they clearly carved out a role for him and it was a significant role. And I do wonder to your point that, you know, he and Hag were an AHL pairing before. Can they become an NHL pairing? I, I do wonder whether that's something that DeBoer said, okay, I want to look at this in camp see how these two perform during camp because I don't want to find out if they're a legit NHL pair in an NHL game, basically, you know, and all the scrimmages, uh, if those two kind of get worked in camp, then divorce can say, okay, cool. We're not ready to have kind of the two youngsters on our blue line. 
let's bring the veteran back in and hold him because we we know what he can do with White Cloud. We're not super worried about those two getting in the reps. Now, I say that, but I also made the point earlier in this podcast that I think they're kind of not messing around with stuff more than usual because they've got to kind of go, go, go and get ready for January 14th. So I don't know. I, may, I probably am overthinking it a little bit. And like I said, Dylan Coughlin, I think, is his own kind of unique uh, flavor, to borrow a George McPhee phrase, in here as well, because he's more of an offensive guy, uh, whereas White Clouds like can be you know, one of your best penalty kill guys. Coughlin's going to be a guy that you really want the puck on his stick on the power play. So, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm not answering your question, but I am fascinated by all the dynamics at play here. I do think it's notable that, I mean, I think it's clear that Haig and Coglin have stepped into kind of, let's just say this top eight for sure. I mean, Pete DeBoer mentioned that, you know, when it came down to the stretch last season in the bubble, the Knights top eight defensemen didn't really include either of those guys because they still had John Merrill and Derek England on the roster. Well, now those two guys are gone, one to retirement, one to the Detroit Red Rings. So Hag and Coughlin, uh, at worst, because it sure looks like Hag might be in the top six right now, are top eight guys for the Golden Knights. And so I would think if any you know sort of injuries, you know, illnesses happen this year, that those two guys for sure are going to be in the mix to get significant time, potentially, depending on how, you know, injuries and absences kind of shake out. So, I mean... Like I said, I do think that's, I guess, kind of my takeaway to not entirely answer your question is that there certainly seems to be a top eight forming here that includes those two young guys and it includes them getting a real shot. Uh, the other aspect of this that uh, we should talk about is kind of the, you know, the elephant in the room, I guess, for lack of a better word, is the night salary cap situation here during camp. Uh, we can all roll out our roster projections, but... As of right now, uh, the Knights are still projected to be over the salary cap if they were to do the kind of 12-6-2 roster configuration that you described, Dave, which is what we'd expect because they can put whatever guys don't make the opening night roster on the taxi squad potentially uh, if they clear waivers and there are certain guys that would have to clear waivers to do that. And that way that saves them, you know, a little bit of cap space and whatever. Uh, but even if they do that 12, 6, and 2, as we expect, they would still be about 120 some thousand dollars over the cap limit, um, which would obviously be a problem. Uh, one way that they could theoretically get under that cap threshold and be cap compliant would be to waive Nick Holden and then put Nick Hag in that uh, you know, top six grouping of defensemen because Nick Hag makes significantly less money on his entry-level contract than Nick Holden does on his NHL contract. That would obviously not be ideal for Nick Holden, who signed his extension uh, not that long ago in February with the Golden Knights. He could have been a free agent this past offseason, but uh, at the trade deadline, he said, nope, I don't need to hit the free agent market. I'm going to commit to this team and sign for an extra two years. But if the Knights decide to try to pass him through waivers, they would get cap relief. And so you have to wonder if he is indeed the fourth pair with Dylan Coughlin, whether that's something they're seriously considering to try to make sure that they're cap compliant 
by the start of the regular season. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's an option. I certainly feel like this configuration shows that it's at least an option and a consideration. I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I I feel like he would get picked up. I feel like if we're going to like talk about, you know, would Carl Dahlstrom be able to clear waivers? Yeah, probably. I don't think anybody's clamoring to get Carl Dahlstrom on their 23 man roster or something like that. But would Nick Holden clear waivers? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe somebody grabs him as their their sixth defense. Maybe somebody can can squeeze him in as a seventh defense when they have the cap space or something like that. Even an eighth defenseman. I don't know. I, I think it's riskier to try to put him through if if that's the way they're going to do it. They obviously know how all this stuff works. They have a plan. It's it's much better than anything you and I could come up with. I think we can both probably agree on that. But I do think it's it's probably consideration. And, and I mean, I know they spent the whole off season. They had all this time to consider it and, and you know, what they show the first day probably does mean something. And, and I think reading something into it is probably fair. Oh, again, though, I want to sort of see how it plays out over the week and we could show up tomorrow at practice and, you know, Nick Holden could be back with Zach Whitecloud and we can be like, oh, well, they're just going to like do something, you know, like they ran before so so i think there's a little bit to sort of you know see how it all plays out a little bit but i think it's worth watching and i do think it's at least something that it it appears that they're considering in terms of how to fix the salary cap problem yeah we'll have to see of course how it all shakes out because they got to make all these decisions just so so quickly because uh, as we've said numerous times in this podcast the regular season is already barely more than a week away but the next time we got we talk to you guys uh, for our weekly episode, we'll basically be previewing the regular season opener against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, hockey is back and hockey is going to be here uh, in terms of games before we know it. So uh, we're so, so excited. We hope you guys are too. Thanks so much for listening. As a reminder, uh, if you like this podcast, please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. Also, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, uh, do those things to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, as a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Blue Wire Hustle. I'm Ben Goats. That's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. <laughs>